This episode of the Council of the First One was recorded on April 19th, 2020. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Council of the First Ones. I'm your host, Kelly. Joining me today is my good friend, Renee. How are you doing, Renee? Oh, I'm fine. I'm isolated. I'm good. (laughs) (laughs) Aren't we all isolated? We also have Rex joining us. Hi, Rex. Hi, Kelly. Great to be here today. (laughs) How are you doing? I'm doing wonderful. How are you doing, Kelly? Very good. We also have David joining us. Hello. Yeah, great great to be part of this and calling from Seattle. And we also have Sean joining us today. Geeking out from quarantine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is the most lively I get all week. So. <laughs> and today we have two very special guests, the Taylors, Rebecca and Mark, joining us. Hey Rebecca, how are you hey, doing? How are you doing? I'm doing I'm great. great. And how is Mark doing? I'm doing really well. Not doing much. <laughs> I've always done that well. Not doing much. <laughs> I do very well. Well, thank you for joining us today. Well, thank you for having me. One thing I want to get out of this is that I am very excited to have Mark and Rebecca Taylor here because these are the founders. You know, I don't think uh, for the people who are not aware, they haven't been to PowerCon and haven't picked up the books and any of that. And I want to make clear to our listeners that Mark and Rebecca Taylor are basically the mother and father of Masters of the Universe. We'll get into how how they created this phenomenon and fandom that we love so much. But our usual questions is always leading to the both of you, uh, since you both were involved in this. Um, And we like to find out, like, how did you get into the toy industry? So hearing it from the two sides, how did you two get started? We would like to apologize for the audio for the next few minutes. The internet was a little spotty at this point, but it does clear up in a little while. So thank you for your patience. Uh, I got started in the toy industry uh, before I even knew I was started, uh, before I ever met Rebecca. Way back when I was uh, a youngster, I would say uh, about somewhere around 1953, I started drawing my hero. And he had lots of names, and he took lots of form. He was somewhere between a caveman and a uh, knight. I, I, I drew and drew, and uh, I'd make up these stories I went because uh, it was better than real life for me. Uh, and I think most I think most storytellers that that's true with them. Now Rebecca and I got together much later in our career, uh, so I'll start off a little bit by by going through mine real quickly. Uh, it was thanks to uh, my parents for paid me to draw. Uh, so uh, I sold pencils and paper uh, because you can't stop a kid from doing anything. And I had a very nice uh, drawing instructor, mechanical drawing instructor, and he encouraged me a great deal. So uh, I, I spent a lot of time working at carnivals, setting pins, you name it, I did it. 
because life at home was much better if I worked than if I didn't. I went to junior college after that, and I took drafting classes through all of this. It was the one consistent thing that I always really liked to do. So uh, the story was already starting to evolve. I wanted a, a, a hero that would always try to do the right thing. I, I, I was a Boy Scout, and uh, I loved it. And uh, I couldn't understand why the world uh, wasn't a little more like the Scouts. And uh, so uh, after I went to junior college, El Camino Junior College, I got a job working for their research. I worked on the Gemini, Mercury, and Apollo space. Uh, the reason they hired me was largely because of my drafting skills. But I started, I couldn't help it. I started putting the whole space thing into my, believe it or not, into my character. And so he would go to outer space. I read books by, uh, by Burroughs, by, uh, Wells, by, you name it. I, I was an avid reader and I would fold these into my, into my story of this hero. The hero never really changed as far as his, uh, ethics go. He was always all about protect the innocent and, uh, Pull down the bullies when possible. And, uh, not a lot of, think of not, not a lot of killing. It was more, always better to kind of embarrass him than to kill him. And, uh, but I was a big fan of EC Comics and Mad Magazine. I wanted to draw like all those guys. They were phenomenal. Uh, the subject matter was just fine with me, but a lot of people looked down on them. Then after, uh, I, I had, uh, worked in their research, then I went to the Navy right after Art Center. I'm sorry, I went to Art Center and uh, graduated from Art Center. And I wanted to be the best drawer at Art Center. I never really achieved that because I was at school with some phenomenal arts, but uh, I wanted to be the very best. And at the end of Art Center, the Navy picked me up. Instead of just letting me be drafted to go to Vietnam, uh, the Navy picked me up. And they put me in the Naval Undersea Warfare Center. Yeah. <laughs> I worked at a lot of projects uh, that were highly classified. And I worked on some of them that uh, everybody knows about, like C-Lab 1, C-Lab. Uh, I worked on the curve that retrieved the, uh, the hydrogen bomb off space when we lost one over there. I worked on all kinds of projects. I was actually with the Navy for about eight years. They called you a, com- a combat illustrator. That's that was the only thing they can imagine. And they used my skills fully. Uh, and I was very appreciated and I was treated very well by the Navy. I, I worked for a wonderful guy and uh, they were just so nice to me. Now, the towards the end, when I said I wanted to resign, they, I think they were worried about my ability to make a living on the outside because I was constantly drawing this really weird stuff. And... Uh, <laughs> You mean your fantasy stuff? Yeah, my fantasy stuff. Oh. That was always the best stuff. And uh, they suggested that the Navy would put me through my master's and get my master's for me, and they would pay everything. And I mean pay everything. Parking, supplies, <laughs> they, a salary. It was a phenomenal job. Uh, leave it to me to fall into that. But I went to uh, Cal State to do my master's, and that's where I met Rebecca. I met her in a classroom. I walked in the classroom. Oh, no, no, don't tell this part, please. (laughs) (laughs) So 
I looked across the room and there's this guy and he's got this really goofy look on his face. And he's looking at me. He's got real long hair. Oh, that's the part he didn't tell you. He looked like a real, like he had really long hair and the Navy still kept him like that. Wow. But this guy was looking at me really weird. And that's Mark. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, I was I was struck. I, I was one of those people you hear about once in a while or maybe you see a movie about it. But I wanted that woman. And no matter what I had to do, I was going to get her. And I did. And she's managed to stay with me. I don't know why, but she has. And it turns out she's a pretty damn good artist herself. And so since then, we've kind of worked in conjunction. We work with each other. Uh, and so we, we started a studio together. And, and then what happened was when we had this studio, we were working for doing work for Disney and people like that. And then, then a Mattel job came in. And it was to design a little sewing machine for, for little girls. So perfect. So perfect. And so um, he did the sewing machine and I did all the stuff that you could make with it. And when he took it in, they, they hired him right then. They just said, do you want to work here? I, I think I'm not, I'm going to tell, tell the story here. I think it was for like $17,000, right? I don't know. But so was... That, was, that, was, that was big, I suppose. To us it was because we're struggling. So he starts at Mattel doing Barbie stuff. You can go on here, Mark. Yeah, uh, and they hired me as a package designer. Uh, that's what they needed, and that's what they thought they wanted. But from the time they hired me, I really worked on product. I worked on Superstar Barbie bus. I worked on the camper. I worked on a lot of the girl stuff because, frankly, I was willing to work with anybody. It never bothers me uh, to work with people. And uh, they were glad to have somebody that could draw because, frankly, they didn't have a whole lot of people that could draw. They were good designers. They could pick stuff really well, but they really weren't what I call creative draftsmen. That means somebody who you say, draw something that looks something like this, and we'll see what we can do with it. And then they'd take my drawings, and they could make it oh, into anything. Uh, but uh, that's what I was good at. In fact, when they hired me at the Navy, one of the first things they asked me was, can you draw something from, from scratch with no Photoshop? Or no, in those days, no photographs. And I said, sure. And they tried me out and I could. And since then, that's kind of how I've, I've made my living. Later, much later, uh, at Mattel, I was still considered a package designer. They have me down there to this day as a package designer. Uh, but I was no longer designing packages. They started using me to do test markets. I did test markets for, for Conan, for Spacemen for military guys, you name it. And I would draw up a presentation and people would come and look at it and they would show it to kids. And none of them worked until I did Conan. And then, wow. Then the Mattel had, had kind of uh, an arrangement with the Conan people that uh, if they could do Conan as a PG, get that one, that would be good. Since you stumbled upon one of the, the big mysteries, of Conan and Mattel, what did what exactly got done with the Conan line? I did all the Conan stuff. Yeah, but... I did. I did drawings of Barbarian, and you know, I loved it. I, yeah. I jumped into it with both feet. I mean, uh, yeah, they Mattel had made a deal with the people that uh, that uh, were doing Conan, and you know, it was De Laurentiis. It was some big people, and they made a deal. And then when they backed out of the deal, the Mattel backed out because, Con well, they said because Conan was a PG, 
But the truth is, parental guidance needed. To oh, see. yeah. Yeah, the movie so, rating. Mattel backed out because we had done some testing, very preliminary testing. And the He-Man, the barbarian stuff, was doing so well. But most of it really wasn't Conan. Most of it was stuff I'd made up from this past I told you about, of reading all these plastics and uh, uh, continuously drawing. A lot of the drawings were drawings I'd done way before I ever went to Mattel. And so uh, I continued to work on it. And I met one of the best sculptors I ever met in my life. His name was Tony Guerrero. And we were old buddies because he was a friend of my father-in-law's. They'd both grown up in uh, in in uh, East Los Angeles in the Vadio there. And my father-in-law was a real good buddy of his. When he found that out, we got to be real tight. And But he was also very, very talented. And he could take the stuff I would do in what they call a B-sheet, which is a product description. And I would do the B-sheets, and then he would do the sculpting on it. And... Uh, yeah, the marketing people kind of run along behind. They constantly, they were nice. Uh, one of them was a new guy, a guy named Mark Ellis. And so he didn't get in the way too much. And so uh, we uh, put together a presentation. And uh, first it was shown to to uh, presentation. No, now, now they, they junk Conan because they, they never explained it to me, but they didn't well, want to just, do it. Just out of curiosity, you guys, you know, because the Conan Mattel kind of be always kind of kept quiet about it, and so yeah, any information, lawsuit. yeah, because of the lawsuit. So you did drawings, but was there, you know, just to clarify, did you do drawings based on the comic book Conan or the no. Arnold Schwarzenegger movie? I I read the books. Yeah, the books that way before the movie, and uh, so I did this way before. There was any comic books. Uh, there was uh, paperback books, and I used to love them. But they were Conan, and I would make my own my own character. It was kind of I was hoping he could kick Conan's ass, frankly. And uh, so I designed him that way because I wanted to put my own code of ethics to him. Conan would just was a thug compared to the guy I imagined. I imagined a guy who always was on the side of the of the of the downtrodden of the uh innocent so uh but everybody was starting to everybody was starting to really gravitate towards my drawings which was really for the test and ray wagner the president of mattel was the only far, man far-sighted enough to jump on it and say do this and take it to child test. now other people claim that he did it for theirs but i'm here to tell you it's a lie he looked at the stuff Tony and I had done, and he said, take this to child testing. And we did. But right now, I'm still classified as a packaging guy. But they never bothered to change that, which was fine with me because I never signed over the right to He-Man to anybody. And they named him again. They could take credit for the name. They could take credit for the, for the various names. But the fact is, I designed him, and he was my, my boy. And now, so when you talk about that, is this tied or again, did you do that famous Torek one that we've yes. seen in the documentary? That's what you called them I, originally? Yeah, I did that before I ever went to Mattel. I did that some versions of it before I ever went to Mattel because I didn't want I you know what? I, I had an ego that wouldn't quit and I didn't want I didn't want to call him uh Conan. I didn't want him to be an, uh, or uh even um uh, 
any of the other science fiction heroes. I wanted to be mine. You know, like all of us artists, I had an ego bigger than my skills. But uh, Tony was doing the sculpting. Tony's boss uh, didn't like it. He went to work on Barbie. He's a great sculptor. But the fact is, Tony would just, whenever he got the time, would work on He-Man. And we turned out more or less the first figures that you're well aware of. Uh, we uh, had the Land Ram and the Wing Raider as sketches. We had a drawing that I'd done of the castle. And so uh, a lady that was running the child test for Mattel named Angie D'Amico, she said, you know what? We've got some boys coming in for boys toy testing. And uh, frankly, uh, they're not going to make the due date. So they're not going to be ready. Do you want your stuff to go? Well, it wasn't quite ready, but geez, yeah. So I said, sure. So we went in there and we went behind a mirrored wall. There were marketing people there. There was the prelim people there. And there was myself, which was the first time that I know of that a product guy ever got to set into a child test. But I really wasn't a product guy. I was really supposed to be a packaging guy. All of this came from Torak. All, all of it spun off one way or another from Torak. So so the kids come in, and I got to tell you, buddy, it would have been wonderful to see it. Because they came in, and they were crazy. They'd been brought in off a fifth-grade playground. And they were brought in, and they were, like, insane. They were sweaty. They were uh, <laughs> hyped up. They were, like going crazy and they came in and we had all the competitive toys that had been gathered for the other test uh gi joe wonderful toys uh the first star wars which was which was our real competition and uh all the stuff that was there and the he-man stuff was covered up with a black cloth and the kids come in and the, the facilitator the gal from marketing that was supposed to be taking care of them she explained to the little guys, she said, these are very delicate. They are very, very, you can't, you can't damage them. And what I'm going to show you are prototypes. So she pulled back the cover and they went crazy. They went nuts. They grabbed the figures and they were bashing them together. They were trying to <laughs> oh, my. Yeah, they were trying to force the little, the little weapons into their hands and, and shields and stuff. And it really, they weren't articulated and they're bashing them together just like Tony and I had imagined uh, when we created the size that they would. So uh, Angie D'Amico called in every group she could down to the third grade. And every group was the same. Uh, one kid uh, in the first group, he tried to steal He-Man. He put the figure under his little bomber jacket. Another kid <laughs> took Skeletor, wrapped him up in his, in his backpack. And another guy decided he was going to take Tila. And, but when he touched her, my paint on her was still sticky. And so he thought it was some kind of, you know, some kind of trap. And so he put her right back. But uh, uh, the facilitator, facilitator divested these guys of their loot and replaced it with hot wheels, <laughs> which did not go over well at all and never did. And the same act was repeated over and over and over till we finally just ran out of out of kids right up to the last group yeah this is probably kids your age by the way were you able to reuse the same toys or at some point did some of them have to be replaced because they were damaged they all had to be replaced because we were getting when we had this kind of success 
Angie, the lady that runs the child test, walks up to me and uh, other people were there, but I don't want to mention their names. And so, uh, but she walks up to me and she says, Mark, I think you've got a major hit here. And I went, I think so. I, it was one of the happiest days of my life. I ran back to Ted, my friend Ted Mayer, who later did the vehicles. And I ran back to him and Tony, and I could hardly wait to tell him. It was, I was so stoked. It was like the biggest high outside of when I first met my wife that I've ever had in my life. I ran down, and I couldn't believe that so many people, these little guys, that they were what I was all about, that they were so obvious in their love for this product line. And I loved it, too. It came from me. And they, we went on and presented to the trade. The trade means uh, the people that are going to actually sell them, the Toys well, R Us. I want to ask about the development of these. Uh, when we saw your drawings, they were more barbarian. And then the vehicles were coming in. And what was the influences in hammering out? Because at the time, as a kid, you know, I had that same reaction. You mentioned the kids going crazy. I'm that oh, yeah. kid. I'm that kid. I was at that age. And I didn't know. Again, I got into it before the, the cartoons. I got into it before everything. Right. I remember right. walking. It's one of those days that changes your life. I remember walking into, uh, it was called the Gibsons. And I saw the toys on the aisle. And I was just fascinated. And I, I what influenced that making of it? Because it was so unique for its time. It wasn't all barbarian, but no. yet you added these uniques. What 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 came together there? You know, it was really interesting. It was, you know, at home, he worked on this stuff at home all the time before he even worked at Mattel. And the thing is, is that nobody nobody cared about it that much. It's like he was like almost outlaw. He, he was a packaging guy. So he did all his work and then he'd go on to this. So what you see is from the beginning of this He-Man line, those those characters, and the fact that, that it's a barbarian, but yet you have, you know, high-tech vehicles, let's say, or the space spacesuit in the castle. It was all because nobody was watching Mark. He was on his own. He was doing it like an outlaw. And so nobody was messing with him till till started till he left. And then people, you know, Mothman, et cetera. But that's what happened. Well, I started and the marketing people came down and they were talking to me and they had all these great ideas. I mean, I would have never made, I would have never named it Masters of the Universe. I mean, that that did not represent what I was thinking, but it was okay. I didn't want to get into a big castle and I didn't, you know, He-Man, frankly, the name He-Man, it seemed like we could have done better, but if that's what they want to get my product out there, that was fine. I was busy designing weapons and designing figures and Tony's busy sculpting them. And by the way, I had to do the packaging too. So I had to find somebody who could, in my opinion, I wouldn't settle for anything less than Frank Frazetta, but he was not going to come to work for Mattel. So <laughs> I found, I found somebody who would take a shot at it and, and would paint kind of like Frazetta in those washy oil kind of shapes. Those, kind of mysterious kind of shapes, which went along with my product. But my product was never meant to copy Conan. He's not a thug. He's a, he's a person that if you took him to school with you, every bully that picked on you would be sorry. He wouldn't even have to crack heads. He would just show himself and by being there, you'd know that he could if he wanted to. 
So I your artist, yeah, right? Who was that? Yeah, Rudy Obrero did a good did a good job on the packaging, and he he did his best, and he was pretty darn good. And uh, when I left, replaced it with somebody because Rudy would paint in oils, and oils are very hard to deal with because they're sticky and they you can't you know the yeah the the company had a hard time dealing with them, but they looked great. And when they went on the shelf, they they kicked ass. They they frankly were were everything I hoped they'd been. And the uh, uh, my the guy that was my manager was a really nice guy named Shell Platt, and he was the one that insisted way back when I went to the first meeting with the president of Mattel. He was the one that insisted that if my product blows, I go. And by insisting with that, I got to see how it started. Yeah, I was doing so. What he did was I did the product, and then he also gave me the packaging, which was not exactly what I wanted, but nobody else could do it with that same kind of feel uh, that uh, Frank Frazetta and all the guys, Bernie Wrights and all the guys that are famous in comic books had made popular. I wanted the kids to realize that this was really theirs. This was really mine and theirs and didn't have anything to do with what the grown-ups wanted to do. What the grown-ups wanted to do is they talked about quotas, they talked about price point, and they were very concerned about copyrights, et cetera. And me, I could care less about that. I was into it for them. And yeah, I was channeling. My wife said I was channeling. Well, let me ask you guys this. I found it interesting because the naming of Masters of the Universe, um, you know, out of the people we've had, nobody can really say where the name came from. And so part of it, now that I'm thinking, I'm going to ask you, uh, if it was up to you or you had more, what would you have named it? And do you have, uh, can you give me an explanation of how they reached it? Because we know it was Lords of Power. At one point, and then, but you know, again, what would you have named it, and what happened there? How did it get to that name? Now, now you have to understand. I'm so close to it now that I don't think of it as anything. I think of it as He-Man. If they would have named it Bernie Schwartz, I would have been happy with (laughs) Bernie Schwartz. I, I I really didn't care. About this time in my narrative, about this time, I'm starting to talk about the castle. I'm talking about this place. It doesn't really exist anywhere. It grows wherever it wants. It's a very, a very organic shape. And I wanted this castle that was all castles you could think of. It was Camelot. It was everywhere you could think of was this going to be this castle. And my hero and Skeletor, who was... My bad son. <laughs> yeah, Rebecca calls him her bad son, was the, was the epitome of evil to offset the epitome of good. In other words, he was the guy that he wouldn't he wouldn't play by any rules. His thing was, whatever it takes to win, I will do. He-Man played by a lot of rules. So they fought over Castle Grayskull. And Castle Grayskull, I think I had something to do with naming Grayskull, but I don't, I don't think anybody understood why. Because about this time, I was doing drawings of Grayskull, and the sculptors would start doing the armature and stuff. And I would look at it and I would go, no, that, it was architectural. It was all clean lines and stuff. And I said, no, it mm-hmm. has to look almost like it's melting. Actually, it's growing out of the, the kid's living room floor or out of his yard or somewhere like that. So 
I, I did a, a drawing of for two weeks. I, I built my own armature and I sculpted it myself. And I, I made it to where it would look good with the figures. It would play with the figures. How could I not? And so Castle Grayskull was done. My friend Ted helped me get a vacuum form off it. And that was the prototype. And that's the one you see now. And uh, I've always been proud of it. Somebody's got me working on part of it now. And uh, the uh, whole thing when it went together was really impressive. If you look at the whole presentation, the way it was impressed with the, the way it was presented with Grayskull, the figures, and all of that stuff. Uh, that was the uh, my dream. And I finished my dream. And uh, I remember the day it happened. Some um, marketing guy came in my, my office and said, okay, you're going to have to take $10 out of it. And I said, why? There's nothing out there like it. The Millennium Falcon isn't like it. Nothing out there like it. And they said, we just decided that, that we could sell more of them if you take uh, $10 out of it. And uh, they took, they had already taken the walls out of it. My wife had already done the, the interior tapestries and stuff. Uh, and so uh, I remember I, I came home and I knew that that was the end of it because they didn't love it. They just wanted to make money at it. And I'm sorry, wherever they are today, they could deny it. But I was there. I lived through it. Uh, and this is what what happened. They I, I, it makes me feel good that the boys and girls the people that I built it for, that they, they do love it and they do care about it. Look at how long they've been caring about it. Well, you I mean, guys made something iconic. I mean, we say Castle Grayskull, everybody knows it, even non-fans or, you know, casual people. Yeah. We say Castle Grayskull, they know what it is. You know, you know? I've, had stu- I've had students come up to me and He-Man has been a symbol of, of, of hope. Uh, String in penitentiaries, in battles, it, you wouldn't believe where, where he's cropped up in jails, in uh, in uh, bars. I mean, my God, the bars are uncountable. And of course, Skeletor has cropped up almost as many times. Anytime somebody wants the ultimate badass guy, they drag out Skeletor. And uh, I created him because he came directly from my nightmares. <laughs> I wanted to ask because you mentioned Rebecca did the artwork and you know the artwork was very unique and I think our we for the record and listeners I do want to cover like how that style came about especially with the unique tapestries and all that well you know it was kind of easy because by then you know we've been married for oh, I don't know a few years but we were together and I kind of, you know, knew that he was strange, but I didn't know exactly how strange. He showed me the castle. He said, uh, I'd like some tapestry of the castle because they've took, taken up the inside of the castle. And I said, geez, okay. And he said, I want them to look different than any other label. I said, all right. He says, I want you to use washy colors and make them. At that time, I don't know if they still have, they call Dr. Martin's dye. They were really intense pigments, the kind of like alcohol ink. Now. And he said, I don't want to, I want you to go in there and just make them washy and let the color run, et cetera. I thought, oh my God, you know, he's weirder than I thought because I've done labels for other toys and they were all flat, flat graphic, very flat. He said, this, nobody's, I said, what if they don't like, I remember to ask you, what if they don't, and he said, who's they? It's me. 
And I said, because I, like I said, no one was watching time. Nobody, they didn't take ownership of it yet because they didn't know how, how fabulous, you know? So on this, um, so I said, what do you want? And he told me, and he said, I remember he said, now I want a space in there with a control panel. And I said, oh, this guy is, is really crazy. This does not make sense to me. And to this day, it really, it kind of comes out in the book, the, the story of the spaces. But I still don't really understand all of that. But he was the art director, so I just did what the art director wanted. And that's how those labels came about. And those labels are so famous and made me famous, honestly. I've seen them as tattoos. I've seen the flags as tattoos. I've seen, well, the, the, the grate is really something. You know, the grate with the creeps in it. Mm-hmm. What they, the, the Will of Souls, they, they, the carpets, etc. And people write to me a lot and they say, I just bought, I'm thinking about buying that carpet. And I said, hey, you can't walk on that. You'll fall into the grate. You understand you have to walk around. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, okay. I said, yeah, you can't just walk on that. So then they get it, you know. But it's like a rug. No, not a rug. Make it or something. You walk around it. But um, it's been really fun. You realize it's over almost 40 years. So 40 years is a long time for this thing to, to live. And yeah. when you guys write to me and you write to me, you tell me that it's changed your life, et cetera. And it's not me that did it. It's Mark. It's real. I re- read him to him what you write to me. And it's like so, com- it's so, it's so compelling that a toy would do this. You know, he changed my life. I just got one yesterday from a bodybuilder who said, I started bodybuilding after I saw him. Oh man, is he built, you know? Oh, wow. <laughs> and, and, and it's really, you know, it's really nice. Now, I know you guys love the cartoon and all that, and that's after us. You know, right after those first, that first, first incentive, the whole start of him, then they, then everybody came. They wanted to know what they say. A dog wants to go on it. You know, they had to put their mark on it. And so right about then, he, they wouldn't let him go to Orange. He was going to stay a product, a package guy, because they didn't want him in Orange because R&D wanted to take credit for the product. That's what happened. No package guy does R&D. So I have to write in the stuff. He tells me, hey, guess what? I got a job at Tommy Toys. You know, you're going to leave Masters? Yeah, it's not mine anymore. I'm going to go. I, I know you guys love the cartoons and all that, but it's not the real It's not the real story. I see the king and all. I think the last figure you did was Prince, right? I, I get a young He-Man that I never wanted to go with. I didn't want to go any further with it. And Didn't I also- you Prince the Adam? Prince? Yeah. Yeah, and I did a king also, but I told them, don't use it. You'll ruin the line if you use this. It's uh, uh, Disney-like. You know, it was like it, it lost. I didn't want He-Man. Nobody knew where He-Man really came from, and nobody knew for sure where He-Man was going. And that was the idea. And that's okay. We're, we're thrilled that you guys love the cartoon and yeah, all that. Yeah. But, you know, that's not the real story, and that's Mark. <laughs> I, You know, I wanted to, I wanted to ask about uh your book because i understand that mark is going to to tell us what that story is in his that book is, is that right yeah that's correct he, he man's father it's just like a thrill he goes to the end of the book because i'm editing the book it's really oh. tough i want to tell you because i'm not an editor but mm-hmm. anyway at the end he's got some stories who his father is his mother and the story and you go oh because this is now the story for over 40 years this is a story mm-hmm. for you now not for little kids this is a story for the little kids that tried to steal the stuff 
that are now, that's what He-Man story has evolved to. So you guys, I think, are going to be really excited to find out about this. And that doesn't mean you have to throw the other story away. But this has to be a story because it comes from the real guy. You know what I mean? Oh, the name of the book is uh, An Odyssey. Uh, He-Man and I, An Odyssey. Beautiful cover done by Ken Coleman. I don't know if you know him. Yeah, we know Ken. Yeah, it's a beautiful cover. Yeah. And, and I think you guys are going to really love it as as adult He-Man fans, you know? How so, soon how soon can we get our hands on it? <laughs> as soon as I finish, like, the last page, and it's, tell me, let me tell you something. It's not, it's hard, because I'm not a writer, and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm checking, a, checking a writer's stuff. But not too long from now, I promise. I don't trust anybody else. That, <laughs> that's I, I really don't trust them. You know, I made that mistake once in my life. I trusted a lot of people uh, at Mattel. You know, they'd be buddies and everything. Then I find out they were tweaking the names and they were changing wow. stuff. And they I, I found out they'd gone to filmation. And, you know, then they, on my desk one time, this is no kidding. I came to work and they had a whole bunch of the mini comics laid out on my desk. You know, that Alex did. Mm-hmm. A Alcala. Yeah. And I looked at them and they said, uh, would you approve these, please? And I said, well, I got to look at them. I got to read them first. I got to look at the drawing and stuff. And they said, no, no, we need them right now. I said, I, I can't do that right now. And so I refused to sign them. And they didn't care. They took them away anyway. And, and yeah, and the kids loved them when they put it with the, with the product. And I, I'm glad they did. But the whole point was we really didn't need them. They were fine, but we really didn't need them. The product was already selling. The castle was the price that they had me do the castle for, including everything, was twenty nine ninety nine, and Toys R Us sold it for fifty bucks. Uh, when we were having breakfast, when we were having breakfast, we're we're sitting having breakfast, and a news news comes on. They're talking to each other, and a woman comes on, and she says, "This is I want to talk about He Man and the Masters." She says, "This is the most disgusting thing I've ever seen, kids. This is horrible." Then she went as far as to say, whoever designed this is a loser. And we went, yay, and we high-fived it. Oh, my goodness. Well, now this leads to our, our major characters here. I mean, you talked about the making of He-Man. And Skeletor, I have to say, and people could argue, is probably the most distinct character. And, you know, for our listeners and all that, could you explain how he came about? Yeah, he came about from an nightmare I had over and over again. And I, I used to think um, that if I drew stuff, that uh, I could purge myself of it. And he was a, a attempt to purge myself of evil. This this thing would scare me every time I would have a dream with it. And uh, uh, in the book, I tell you exactly where it came from, but I can tell you he was a bad dream. And how appropriate. To, you know, I, I could put my bad dreams down on paper. I feel sorry for people that can't. He-Man was a, a compilation that, that, of, of characters that was so out of step with what people thought. You know, He-Man was actually, uh, he was more a Zulu warrior than anything else to start with. And, I mean, he was always muscular and, and everything, but he was, most of all, he was like, nobody's going to control him. And for sure, nobody's going to believe. It started off with uh, what kind of guy I'd like to go to school with if I wanted somebody to go to school and protect me. 
knee, knee pain. His thighs were way too big. He was had a muscle. He, he had a muscle every place that I didn't have a muscle. He had stuff. Uh, uh, he wasn't supposed to be, by the way, he wasn't supposed to be blonde. He was supposed to be uh, uh, have brown hair. And uh, it was in a queue to start with. And uh, yeah, a little ponytail. And uh, but uh, one of the uh, senior vice presidents of Mattel uh, was a blonde guy. Yeah, and he wanted it to look like him, so he said, "Make it blonde." Well, they did, and I didn't have anything to do with that. Uh, that was that was because some big shot wanted it. Oh, later I, I, when really quick, what what was his original hair color? It was brown. Brown, I see. Yeah, it wasn't. Wasn't black like Conan's. It was brown, like well, like most guys. The reason why I ask is because there was this uh, action figure in the '80s that looked exactly like He-Man, uh, but he had brown hair, and he didn't come with his armor or his sword or a shield. And uh, a lot of collectors have it in their collection, and they remember it from their childhood, but they don't remember where it came from. It's it's been a big mystery. I've, I've never seen it, but good for them. If that's what they want to do, that's fine with me. You know, I mean, whatever it is, whatever it is that makes you happy, that's what you should do. I I don't stand on medium or any any kind of uh, uh, edifice that uh, that everything else is wrong and this is all that was right. Uh, it's just that I made it happen. Other people may may have known it. They may have had the image somewhere. They may have been thinking about it, but I made it happen. Tony and I made it happen, and uh, he's dead now. Bless his heart. But uh, Ted, Ted Mayer vehicles, uh, and he helped me with the tooling on the castle. And uh, that, that, was, that was a major event, just doing that. Could you please tell us a little bit about the, the ideas that you uh, were able to transfer from the big gym toy line, for instance, the designs for Manny Faces, Jitsu, Trap Jaw, um, Beast Man, his whip. That sort of thing. Well, I worked on Big Jim mm-hmm. uh, when he was Tarzan of the Apes. Uh, I did the packaging for him and I did the product, but none of Big Jim came into He-Man at all. But a little bit of Tarzan did. How could you help up girls in there? You know, he was one of the great science fiction writers of all time, mm-hmm. and 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 Hogarth was a great draftsman, and I'd learned a lot of my drawing lessons from uh, Bruin Hogarth. But uh, as far as uh, Big Jim, I, I didn't like Big Jim. I thought he was stupid. And uh, well, now some of the other stuff, you know, I mean, you have to realize what the time was like. Kenner was out there with, with a marvelous line of Star Wars. A great story, okay figures, but very nice looking. A lot of attention to, to detail. Uh, uh, a great vehicle. The uh, Star Wars was powerful, and that had already beat Mattel because they offered Star Wars to Mattel, and Mattel turned them down. And uh, Bernie Loomis at Kenner, uh, what he did was uh, you, there wasn't enough time because Lucas wisely didn't want to tip his hand as what was coming out in Star Wars, so he didn't join forces with any toy company. But Loomis approached him, and he approached him with the idea you could buy it and then trade it in for a toy so people could give their certificate for Christmas and then people can reimburse it 
for a toy when the toys would finally come out. Now, he had the guts and the energy to do that. This was before he met. Yes, Mr. Taylor. I would like to ask, um, in the concept designs of the characters that you created, you mentioned earlier that the characters uh, swapped from good people in the production, actual concept to actual. Would you do me a favor? Just call me Mark, please. Everybody go to the slam. Uh, I didn't hear the last part of your statement. What was the last your question? What was the last part of it? Uh, the last part of it, sir, was... Um, uh, characters that swapped from the good side to the bad side of the original concept. Uh, what could you talk about? <laughs> Zodak, not much. I needed to make, at that time, I was turning out characters so fast that uh, I turned them out so that they could be used either side for good or bad. In fact, uh, Tila, the, uh, the, uh, that was the first sexy male action toy that had ever been done. And that's why the little boys loved her, but the little girls didn't because she was a babe. And uh, <laughs> But the whole idea was uh, whether she was going to be good or bad, had to left that up to the user because uh, whether she's going to be on Skeletor's side or He-Man's side, like uh, I thought maybe sometime uh, she would be on one or the other. And Zodak was the same way. Uh, I wanted him to be uh, perhaps uh, sometimes he'd be on the good side. Sometimes he'd be on the bad, kind of like a mercenary in Star Wars. He was kind of like that. So, so if I'm understanding you correctly, sir, that act was intended to kind of be a neutral or a kind of a uh, impartial party that uh, sided both sides of uh, the master. Sure, isn't that more fun? I mean, he man, he was pretty absolute, and Skeletor was definitely absolute. But I wanted it to be so that uh, the kids could play with it in front of their TV set. And uh, you can uh, get your lineup of good guys and lineup of bad guys, but uh, there's liable to be treason involved if you get my drift. I had the record set for Point Dread, and I kind of hit Zodak with a dread because I kind of viewed him as just kind of an overseer. <laughs> cool, cool. That's perfectly good. You know, I mean, if you like, if you like to put him in a in a role. See, these are all meant to be roles that you will play with. You you set it up, and these are going to be. This is like the, the set to a theater that I, I tried to develop for you. So it's your story, your imagination. You can play them any way you want. You're the king. You literally, you, you are, are the divine being that is assigning these people to the roles. Now, He-Man is pretty much, he's, he's pretty much a good guy. It's hard to make him anything else. Or probably you shouldn't. Skeletor is definitely a bad guy. I mean, how can you make him anything but what he is? But all the rest of them, I designed them to be a little bit more vague. The uh, filmation people, when I saw some of the filmation things, I didn't even know what the hell they were talking about. There's not supposed to be some comedian little guy floating around in the air. I never designed that. You know, uh, I'm curious. What What's your uh, idea of the story behind Manny Faces? Ma Manny Faces was one of the last figures I worked real hard on. He was the master of deception. You never know who he was. Am I talking to this person or am I talking to that person? In other words, he, he could turn on you. Uh, and he did, of course. See, that's that's the story that you would tell using my props. Well, so I was going to add, uh, 
one thing I always found fascinating was the weapons. And part of it was that, you know, your idea was from the beginning to put sci-fi weapons with medieval weapons. You know, could you tell yeah. me a little bit about what you're thinking for the play for that? Since you yeah. talked like you focused on play. This would be more of a uh, apocalyptic world. In other words, we're, we're, uh, uh, when you read the book, you'll see what I mean, where uh, Castle Grayskull could exist and where uh, these kind of characters could exist. And some of it maybe would be left over from another time. Some of it would be maybe uh, used in a different type of war. Uh, but we'd reached about the bottom of the barrel uh, with, uh, with He-Man. And uh, he had to take things on pretty much on a, a muscle basis as versus some of the other people that had uh, would use leftover high-tech uh, man-at-arms. He was definitely uh, used leftover high-tech. My favorite's He-Man, Skeletor, uh, man-at-arms. You know, out of, Mark, out of all of the toys in the Masters of the Universe line, which ones are your favorite and which ones are your least favorite? Well, uh, I love I love He-Man because he has the guts to be almost corny. In other words, he has the guts to run around in a little fur-lined jockstrap and uh, sandals and uh, uh, kind of a, a chest piece on that uh, really doesn't protect him because he doesn't want to be uh, protected. So I, I, I have to say, I still like He-Man. And I love Skeletor. It started out being a caress. Uh, it's what... Uh, men used to wear when they armored themselves and it was the chest piece but it kept getting smaller and smaller because i didn't want him to look like he was afraid of being hurt so well, it, it was it, called a, a harness and skeletor has more of a cuirass right because i always wanted to know like what do i call skeletor's armor because it had a romanesque uh yeah. style to it and so but well i was just trying to say what what do i name his armor what you name his armor is anything you want. But if you take his armor, <laughs> if you name, take his armor off, I've got one question I want to ask you. Does he fall apart into a pile of bones, or uh, does the armor hold him together, or is the armor to protect him? Protect him from what? What is it that that Skeletor needs protection from? But he obviously does. And uh, I, I get into that more in the book. Uh, what what Skeletor is never going to defeat He-Man. He-Man is never going to defeat, defeat Skeletor. They will battle for forever. Their destiny is to battle good against evil forever. And the people that support them, some of them know this more than others. Like uh, Tila, she knows that neither one of these guys is going to win. And she dabbles a little bit in magic. So she has knowledge and she has capabilities that... Uh, Neither one of them choose or can use. And, uh, but it's up to you. It, when, when you're setting up your little figures there, you should set them up so that you tell the story. You want to know if, if Skeletor takes off his armor and puts it on a mannequin, let's say, and takes a breather from it, what happens? I don't know. I, I leave that to you. What, wouldn't it be weird if just his head goes, goes sailing across room and it seems to be <laughs> anti-gravity. I don't know. And and I shouldn't know. That's not an answer. That what that is is the kind of question that other people 
that are watching you set up your tableau, your play, they should they should hear from you. What do you think Skeletor is? If a, if an arrow hits Skeletor and goes right through his body, a spear or an arrow, does it hurt anything? I don't know. I don't the, know. Your, the story in your book that oh. you're writing, all right, will, it, will the story include any new characters? And, and you have, you, have you considered, just for fun, you know, coming up with new characters? Uh, of course. Um, but the, uh, in my book, the main thing is, you, I think you look at the characters a little differently. Instead of the way that Mattel has seen it, I like to think that I put a little more interest in them. For instance, uh, where did Land Ram come from? Where, where, where's the Land Ram? All of a sudden, this guy's driving this this armored jeep around. Well, why? Well, you, you said Land Ram. Yeah, Battle Ram. I called it Land Ram. Oh, okay. So in the book, he's mainly dealing with characters you know. Yes. But even today, somebody asked him. This is a question that's interesting. They said, "Hey, does uh, what was that guy's name? Battle? What is it? No. Ram Man?" Um, no, uh, Ram Man, right? Avatar. No, no, Ram Man. The guy with the. Oh, yeah, Ram Man. Somebody asked him, is Ram Man part of an army or is he standalone? And Mark said, oh, no, there's Crash Man, Bowling Man, Bowling Ball Man, there's Bulldozer Man. And so even as as we as we speak and, and we don't see those characters, those characters live inside his head somewhere. You know what I mean? So. They're there. They're just not out, but they're they're there. They're from the original person. That's all. That's all the only way I can explain it. Yeah. Well, his mind back. is the his mind is the well of souls. <laughs> when I went back to Mattel, uh, it was about 88, 87, 88. I went back as a senior vice president. So now I got to be a suit, and I thought that would fix everything, but it didn't. And I was there, unfortunately, to watch the end of He-Man, to watch them ruin it. And sell it out, and I couldn't believe they couldn't create a, a better, a better line, uh, and improve the line that existed. But they weren't interested because they they wanted to make immediate money. Uh, the, the real fault isn't theirs. The real fault is mine. But I wanted somebody that could make my line happen, and they did that. So I'm very grateful to them because through their own greed, they they uh, supported me. And let me do my my line, and it lived better than I ever thought it would. And the fact that guys like you still think a lot of it—that proves I was right. How much better could it be? Uh, it, it couldn't be better. If I could have done a film, of course I would have done a Pixar-like film. Who wouldn't? Who wouldn't take any of these opportunities? My opportunity was was that uh, they would make this into an uh, a male action figure line which they hadn't been able to do and haven't been able to do since. And my thing is, uh, I was there, and the fact that they loaded all the responsibility on me is not a problem at all. I was glad to accept it. I wanted it. I wanted to do it and make it happen just the way I wanted to make it happen. That's just because they stopped making plastic products doesn't mean that there's still not more figures and more uh, stories to tell. I hope you see that there is when when you get my book. If um, uh, Mark, I have a question. Um, I was going to ask about um, basically, what do you think of the Masters of the Multiverse, Keldor, uh, trying to avoid the inevitable multiversal fate, becoming Skeletor? You mentioned earlier he's destined 
always be evil and always be power hungry and become what he is. I'm just curious what you're thinking of the uh, thoughts of what they've done with the multiversal combat. Uh, nothing. Uh, my take on it is they started chipping away at what the whole thing was all about when they started adding that kind of stuff. That's the kind of the multiverse Skeletor wouldn't stand anybody trying to take it traditional way. He's the ultimate in evil. He, there's nothing you can do to deal with him. He's the ultimate in evil, and he always will be. And uh, he always will be. He always wants to eliminate He-Man. Why? why? You know, why does he want to eliminate He-Man? Because He-Man stands for everything Skeletor detests, and that's why. As I, again, you know, we're wrapping it up here. I was always curious because when I got your art print, I was always fascinated by the rhinoceros warrior. It was Rhino Man. Rhino Man. Yeah. I wish he got made. And so I was just wanting to know a little bit information about him. And generally, like I never got to ask you, is why didn't he? He's awesome. Uh, uh, because they got off with doing cheap stuff. Uh, basically, there would be the centerpiece, arms and legs, and uh, and a head. The head was actually formed. If you look at the arms and legs, they only did like maybe three sets of them uh, of uh, of the basic human figure and, and villain figure. They would make them different colors. But the truth is, they never really wanted to get into it. Like Ram Man would have, I mean, Rhino Man would have meant, I wanted it to be like the heavy cavalry. You know, like, uh, it was wonderful in Pixar when the Pixar planet, when it starts turning on the all the mechanized stuff and all those things come out of the jungle. Well, that's what Rhino Man would have done. Uh, he didn't ask a lot of questions. He didn't have any real depth. His thing was, I'm going to I'm gonna bang this thing until it's, until it's just so much uh, debris. He could be a good guy. He could be a bad guy. He could be however you want to play with him. He'd be pretty hard. To, he'd, he'd be pretty hard to fight because he was armored like crazy. No. But you can you can imagine what Rhino Man would look like if if there was an entire army of them. Then, then that would have been like the heavy cavalry. You know, it would have been great. I didn't get tired of the He-Man line. Mattel did. They got tired of playing the game. Yeah, they wanted to get silly. People made promises to them, and they they bit on them, and they tried to tell. They tried to tell too much so they could make money on the product. And again, I'm not bitter about them because they let me do what I wanted to do, but they sold out way too soon. Well, part of it, I know you don't like the later line. And a lot of people that we've spoken to said it got crazy, you know, it's, you know, toward the end. And so part of it is, is that I wanted to know if the line went more your way. What would it have looked like? What what would Mark Taylor's, you know, Master Universe line would have continued if you went beyond? That is a wonderful... Well, I'll give you a hint in the book. It wouldn't be silly. It'd be something I think that every man, every man that was a boy aspires to. And that is, might will be right. I mean, right will be, will be, will win. But it's a hard fight. And it's hard to keep your principles. And, um... Uh, that's that's what it would really be about. And it, it doesn't mean it's not a toy line. I proved that you can do a toy line that believes in these things. And I put out the product show that you can do a toy line. And and uh, so 
far the movies have been a joke. You know, I mean, they're they're laughable. Uh, uh, you know, they don't even want to, even with something as a sure thing, they don't want to spend the money on it because they think He-Man is silly. And if you think He-Man is silly, then you're starting with a bad premise because He-Man isn't silly. He-Man is the little boy in every one of us. The little boy that's tired of being bullied. Little man, the little the the man who everybody thinks they can tell what to do. He doesn't have any rights. He's the he's the spokesman for the underdog, and he always will be because that's where he is in my heart and in my mind. He always will be that. And if I got any of that across to you, and if you enjoyed it, then I I succeeded in what I tried. As far as Mattel was concerned, they don't discuss these kind of things. They discuss stories. They discuss uh, job titles, and they discuss stuff like that. A guy like me doesn't belong in a place like that. And I knew that when I when I left. I did the Turtles, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I did those for Playmates, for Bill Carson Playmates. And I went there, and I basically took the same idea, only the, the Turtles are a love story. As long as they stay together, they can beat anybody. If you separate them, they become vulnerable. That's the whole idea of Turtles. And when I went there, I met with Eastman and Laird, and I laid out how I would like to see the turtles, and that was good enough. And they're still done that way to this day. Well, that leads to a follow-up question that we were going to have: is that we know you left for turtles. Um, what uh, you uh, for our listeners? What did you work on in turtles? Because I worked on Raphael, Michelangelo, Leonardo, Donatello. I worked on Splinter. I worked on the first. Uh, on the first party party van, and I worked on the on the big blimp, which hardly anybody sees anymore. I worked on uh, uh, Bebop, and I invented Bebop. I did the first drawing of Bebop and Rocksteady. Those were the second generation. But uh, yeah, I don't know who would have started it. There was nothing there but a stack of uh, a, a stack of drawings that nobody wanted. And uh, I did my own B sheets, my own drawings. Well, we're coming up on the hour. And uh, my last question was just a little curiosity because I know Rebecca drew the uh, spaceman in the Castle Grayskull. Could you tell yeah. us a little bit about that? Because that was my fascination. Honestly, this is me. This is my personal question. Because as a kid, I stared at that spaceman for a long time, you know, when I had Castle Grayskull. And I always imagined it. Yeah. Well, she did a good job, didn't she? Yeah. You know, I, yeah. Yeah. People keep those labels. We see the artwork all the time. It's, it's, really it's quite fun. amazing. Man, see, that does the thing that I'm talking about with the whole line. It tickles your curiosity and makes you want to tell a story. Who the heck is a spaceman? Is it really a spaceman or is it just a suit? And if so, why is it hanging up? That's, that's the kind of stuff that I wanted the kids to get into with me. I wanted them to get into that whole thing. And so did Rebecca. And Rebecca, no, not to give too much information, but just give some information. And we hope that that works. Giving all the that that's that's boring. That's what they get in the way they used to teach school and what they get in really boring books. They don't want to do that. They want to take it and they want to run a little bit with themselves. I'm sure you do too. So what you have to say, what, what, you, what you feel about the spaceman is what it is. Mark and Rebecca, I just would like to say thank you so much for creating uh, my childhood and my obsession, my time, my joy, my collection. I love everything y'all have done. Thank you so much. 
Well, thank you, buddy. Thrills us to no end to think that you still have life, that you have life in this thing. I mean, I can't tell you, because Mark doesn't get on, on social media. I can't tell you how many how many people just cling to this this thing. And it really feels good. I mean, it's 40 years almost. And the fact that you still love it is like, that's like a gift that keeps on giving, let me tell you. It's just a wonderful thing. The things I hear are like, oh, you childhood, or my prison sentence was better because I had, I mean, it's unbelievable. <laughs> I can't even tell you all. I was in a submarine and I had He-Man. The stories are incredible. And that is like such a thrill. And I have, you guys give me credit for this. And I'm like, this, I'm the wingman, you know? I mean, all this comes out of Mark's gourd, no, no, no. out of his head. It's just amazing. And I, and I thank you. I thank you very much. Well, I can tell you thank this, you. being married to a wonderful mm-hmm. woman, and I can tell you that we succeed because we have great wives with us. I know talking to you guys, Mark appreciates you, and I, we see what you've done. You know, and we're grateful for you. And, you know, we're here. And I don't think, again, I don't want to speak for Mark, but uh, I think Mark is here because of you, too. You know, (laughs) one of the things I want to say as we end this is that I know I've told you guys this before, but it has to be said that everything we have as grateful and thanking us as you do, we have to double thank you because we're here because of you. You know, this is because of you. He-Man.org exists because of you. PowerCon exists because of you. Our toy collections exist. My poor bank account exists because of you. (laughs) (laughs) You Well, sorry about that. (laughs) Understand, we're old now. We have you guys calling us and writing to us. And the fact that somebody's brain fart. Let me put it that way. Someone's brain fart to fruition and, and became something that you guys hold dearly. And when you guys say that to us. You know, there's other people that have tried to take credit. for. You can just listen to Mark and know where he's gotten the ideas. And you know the other person that says this doesn't have a clue. And you know that this comes from Mark. And it's a thrill, thrill. And I'm so much thrilled to have you be a fan. She said it all. As you yeah. Did. You guys weren't that thrilled with the storylines and all that. But, you know, like you said, it's our imaginations. And that's what the toy is to me. You know, I enjoyed the cartoons. I enjoyed the comic books, but it was me playing with it. Of course. And as you should. And and that's exactly right. And that's that's why I take take joy in in what everybody does is because they're, they're, they're taking it and they're running with it. And that's what it was meant for. In fact, I remember when I presented it to the president of Mattel, and I said, kids don't have a place to play outside anymore. They, they have to play in the house. And so I want this thing to be something that they can play with, the castle to, to go out of the floor for them to be able to play with it in the room or in front of the TV set. I didn't even know there was going to be a TV program, but that shows you how open I was even at that time. And I'm even more open now. And I love what the collectors are doing. When the collectors take it and they put something of themselves into it, I don't have a problem with that. I think that's marvelous. Do it. You know, do whatever you want to do. Have fun with it. That's what it's all about, isn't it? Have some fun with it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we're in for a resurgence because, you know, 
they have the Netflix cartoons coming, two cartoons coming, a movie maybe, and toys you know, <laughs> coming back. So hopefully, hopefully we get more fan base and a next generation will come along and love it as much as we did. Great. It sounds good yeah. to me. Yeah. Sounds great. And you guys uh, yeah. take care of yourselves, will you? Hopefully, uh, again, our paths will run again and again and again. I mean, I do look forward to seeing you guys. You've got the power, buddy. <laughs> Thank you. That actually makes me feel so awesome hearing them say that. Also this week that came out was some sad news for the community. San Diego Comic-Con will not be happening this year. For the first time in 50 years, the organizers have decided to cancel. Currently, San Diego Convention Center is being used for COVID-19 patients, and they feel that they cannot guarantee everyone's safety, and that is one of the reasons why they canceled it. Any thoughts, guys, on this decision? I know I expected it, but it's still very sad. Well, I really hope that we get a look at what Mattel's been cooking up for the show in terms of exclusives and and reveals. I would hope that we'll be able to get our hands on those Comic-Con exclusives uh, at some point in some fashion. Well, I found it weird that Mattel hasn't even announced. By now, they would have announced, even before all this, um, there would have been hints of San Diego Comic-Con exclusives. And so right now, I'm not feeling it because I know one way or the other that they worked their way through it or... They might even be thinking, well, we'll just sit on it for a year and save us some trouble. So anything right now is possible. Then, you know, nobody has spoken. Everybody's just waiting. And honestly, that's how I am here at my house. I think that's how all of us in this world is right now. We're just waiting. Yeah, I have a feeling the major toy companies took the cue when they canceled WonderCon to put all the exclusives on the back burner because... We would have been getting those hints now about the exclusives since WonderCon would have been, I believe, last weekend or the weekend before. And I know they did a virtual con for WonderCon, but the only uh, exclusives that I've seen so far from there were Funko, which they were doing on their website. I was a bit disappointed about hearing about San Diego Comic-Con and uh, not hearing them doing a virtual. I was kind of surprised they actually haven't announced them doing a virtual one. Yeah, maybe, I mean, they could always tease it out bit by bit like they have for the Origins line on the official Masters of the Universe Facebook page. They could just keep doing that, like, you know, once, uh, once a week or once every other week, giving us little tastes all the way up to fall when Origins is supposed to be uh, released to store shelves. So it's a wait and see. Well, unfortunately, you know, I hate that I have to maybe think about a time where we're like, hey, guys, remember when we had Comic-Cons? You know, it's just, <laughs> oh, God. you know, and I a mean, ready yeah. supply of toilet paper. Yeah, <laughs> but I know things will get better. I know things will move. We will weather this, and I look forward to, or again, I think everything's going to go crazy once things normalize, and we'll all go on vacations, and 
you know, we'll all go out. Restaurants will be packed to the rim because nobody wants to eat at home for the next two years. And, <laughs> and you know, the, the crazy things. And people will be shopping all the time at, at the malls might make a comeback at this point. But, um, you know, I know that eventually it, it will get better. And, you know, yeah, you know, we had this tragic events and, you know, there was a few times in history where things got knocked out of order for our traditions but we always bounce back and you know if we don't have this comic con or even god forbid we don't have this power con they'll always be next year you know and we'll have fun then we won't you know this year we'll be quiet about it but next year yeah we go crazy you know i would like to thank Mark and Rebecca Taylor for joining us today. And as always, for the up-to-the-minute news on anything Masters of the Universe related or PowerCon related, check out He-Man.org. And until next time, good journey. This is Renee. Uh, I'd like to thank you all for listening. Uh, Nerds on the Couch is always posting up the latest nerd news to follow us on our Facebook page. And... Once again, it was super awesome having Mark and Rebecca Taylor with us. They are the most awesome people in the fandom on this world, and I'm just so glad I got to have them. So subscribe to Council of the First Ones wherever you get podcasts, and good journey. This is David Clark, owner of adultcollector.org. I had so much fun you know, hearing all the great information and insights Mark and Rebecca gave to us. I, I'm so happy I'm able to be a part of this. And I wanted to uh, urge everybody to visit the Facebook page for the Masters of the Universe, the Age of One Dark mini comic series. Good journey. And this is Sean. <laughs> and uh, I wanted to thank Mark and Rebecca Taylor for uh, coming on the show tonight. That was an amazing interview to listen to. And uh, good journey, everybody. This is Rex, and I wanted to thank Mark and Rebecca Taylor for coming on the show tonight. It was amazing to get to interview y'all, and good journey, everyone. This has been a Nerds on the Couch production in association with adultcollector.org.